Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. Hello, Ivy Church. Hello, Ivy Church. Welcome to Ivy Church. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. I'm excited about tonight. Can you find Romans 12? Paul's letter to the church at Rome, chapter 12. This uh, first little part of this that we're going to be looking at, really God's just been speaking it to me over and over for weeks and weeks and weeks um, in various ways. It's uh, kind of outside of the series that we're doing, um, but I think it's integral to us as a church because the church is effectively it's a community of individuals coming together to do stuff for the Lord and um, the fact that you know we have to know who we are know who God is and then we get to know what God can do through us and um, it really comes out of something as well it was kind of uh, the, the, the thing that we asked people to do when you came in was to get your sheet of paper and to write on the top of it what I do I know some people have joined us since then if you've done it Hold it up so I can see it. What I do. Oh, sorry. Who I am. That's the first one. Who I am. And on the other side of that, what I do. And, um, you know, we end up answering these questions very often in life in various ways. Depends who we're talking to. Depends on the situation, uh, you know. Um, Depends what you think they want to know. Not everybody wants your whole life story. Um... It, you know, it, it, obviously, if you're going for a job interview, they're interested in a bit more of your past and your experience. If you're at a party, probably people less so. <laughs> um, but uh, who are you? And it's interesting, Tim said that, you know, he just said to this guy, he was asking him those questions, and he was a bit flummoxed by it. And I think a lot of people can be. We just get sort of cornered, and it's like, well, what's your first response? And so the other day in, um, in one of our staff meetings, actually, Lisa... Lisa Lee uh, gave us a bit of paper and just got us to write out some who I am. And um, probably because I'm a SWAT, I just went straight into, I am a child of God. I am forgiven. I am loved. I am the apple of his eye. I am the bride of Christ. I am. And it's like, actually, over the years... That has become natural to me. So it isn't just because I'm a SWAT. It, it actually, I think, over the years has got embedded into me that I know who I am. And the first thing you need to know about me is I belong to Jesus. And the last thing that I want to be remembered about me at the end of it all is he belonged to Jesus. That's what's most important about me. What's most important about me is Jesus. That's the most important thing about me. And because of that, when you realise that, then whatever you do, the Bible says whatever you do, do it as though you're working for the Lord because you know from him you're going to receive a reward. What you do takes on different meanings when you realise you've got that identity question settled. So you're not having to do it for necessarily, I'm not saying I'm completely free of this, but I've got a lot freer of it. You're not doing it for the applause of people. You're not doing it for recognition. You're not doing it um, to, for this person or for that person. You're not even doing it for the money. You're just, you're doing it out of who you are in Jesus. And it makes all the difference. 
for us to be able to do that. So, you know, it's like, what's your first response when people says to you, who are you? And I think it comes in worship. God tells you who you are and then you believe it. You agree with him about who you are. It's like, it's not enough for me to read those things and not disagree with them biblically. The question is, have I actually imbibed those truths such that they've become a part of me and changed me and transformed me on the inside so I'm not who I used to be. I am a new creation. All those things that, that are true are true of me. And the extent that they're not, I'm going to struggle. To the extent that they're not, I'm going to have all kinds of issues. It could be with regard to, uh, you know, I, I might think of myself in, in, in wrongly and think too much of myself, or I might think too little of myself. I'll have all kinds of self-identity issues. My relationships with other people will suffer to the extent that I haven't got it fixed, who I am, because how can I know who you are? And how can I relate to you as you are without knowing me? And what pushes my buttons and what are my insecurities and what are my issues versus what's just you? And where, you know, I think these are the kind of questions ultimately. We're talking about Christian maturity here. And Romans 12, if you read through the Romans and you get there, basically the whole of Romans is, is like Paul unpacking the problem of the human race, the solution which is Jesus, and then there's a lot of kind of therefores about how everything's now different as a result of it. And he is talking about individuals, he's talking about a church, he's his, really, many say it's his most mature theological discussion in many ways about the church generally and the place of the church and what the church really is. And I think we're in seismic times, you know, five years ago to the day we had the bomb go off here in Manchester. And I remember driving around after it and people feeling like, will the world ever be the same again after that? Will the city ever be the same again? And guess what? We end up kind of going back. to say, Yeah, I mean, we still bear the scars and, and this, you know, there's the pain of that and we remember that. But at the same time, we, we know people call it being resilient. But I think sometimes we, we, just want to go, we just go back to what was in many ways. You know, and then there's COVID and, you know, we're in a room together and, you know, looking around, not seeing anybody wearing a mask, not judging either way on that. But, you know, when people are close and we're, you know, if I said high five, most of you would. And it's things that, you, you, well, there was a point when it was like, well, how could that ever be? And will it ever happen again? And could it happen again? And we've kind of living perhaps with still like the element of a bit of fear about, well, the world could change like that again. And, and everything's a little bit wobbly in the world. So what do you hold on to in those times when all the world starts to shake and you don't know what's going to happen next? I mean, the scariest thing probably I've ever been through was when I was in Haiti and, went, and there was an earthquake. And at that moment when the, literally the, the, the planet, which is supposed to be the solid, I don't know if anybody's ever been in an earthquake, but the thing that's supposed to be solid starts to move and it's like, this is surreal and scary because if this isn't solid, what is there? that I can hold on to. And maybe these things that have happened in recent years, maybe the earth is shaked so that what cannot be shaken will remain. And maybe it's because it's been, God's been trying to show us, maybe we've been a bit too attached to this world and we've not got attached enough to the reality of heaven and anchored to that which cannot move. So Romans 12, you know, he's kind of looking at some of these questions, we're going to look at them and um, verses one to six is where we're going to be looking in a moment. But, you know, my starting point really is just to ask, have you worshipped yet today? Because you look at verse one of this passage and uh, he's going to ask that question. Let's have a look at this. Um, uh-oh, so go, go back one, go back one. That's it, that's the reading. I'm going to read it. Shall I just read it? 
Okay. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Don't think like everybody else, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, say then. Then, some things have had to happen before you can do the next bit. You understand that? Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. It's like, until the first bit happens, you won't be able to get into the second bit. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, hands up if that applies. Great. Do not think of yourself more highly than you are, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. I'll come back to that. For just as each of us has one body with many members, shake a few members. Nice. Come. I want to see those. I want to see them moving. Nice. Very good. And all these members do not have the same function. So in Christ, in Christ, something's happened. In Christ, we, though many, form one body. So join hands with somebody. And let's do that. We form one body together with other people. Yeah? We're individuals, but we're connected. We're in community. And each member belongs to all the others. Look at the person next to you. You belong to them. They belong to you. We belong together. Okay? Shh, shh. I know it's exciting. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then If it is to encourage, then give. If it is giving, then generously if it is to lead do it diligently if it is to show mercy do it hooray so much in that so let's start off looking at it again next slide please have you worshipped yet have you because what this says is our worship is you've become a living sacrifice it isn't did you sing it isn't, did you come into church? It's not, did you really sing and really get into it? That isn't what it says it is. The question of worship is, did we become a living sacrifice? That's what this says. I'm not making it up, that's the Bible. We've got this thing and we've called it worship, but ultimately worship is, are you a living sacrifice? Please, Tim, come up. <laughs> See, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, there was this priestly thing where basically... You know, the, the, they would get the animal. <laughs> and it was a dead sacrifice. That was it. You know, the kind of, the, the priest would have to drag the animal into the Holy of Holies. And it was a dead sacrifice. They didn't do anything, really, apart from be dead. Yeah? Well done. Big round of applause for Tim. Difference, New Testament. You have to choose to be a living sacrifice. You have to present your body, it says. It's like you say your whole body. Everything I do with this body, everything, my thoughts, what does it involve? My thoughts, my actions, my, everything I eat, everything, all the work that I do or don't do. 
the decisions that I make, the places that I go, the things I do when I wake up in the morning, all the way through until I go to bed. It's all, am I going to live for me or am I going to be a living sacrifice? And as I say, it just calls to mind the, the temple, the priest, Aaron, the high priest, whatever, would bring in a dead sacrifice. There's no need for that now because Jesus, who is our great high priest, has himself sacrificed his own body, shed his blood so that we can be forgiven. But it doesn't end there. It starts there because now we're invited to be living sacrifices. Jesus paid the price. He was the sinless substitute, the perfect one, once and for all, for our sins. And you can say, oh, well, he did it all. And yes, he did. But then the next question is, so what do I do? His response to that, and that's what Romans, I haven't got time, so I wish I could read it the whole lot. That's his way it's all coming to in this chapter. So what do I do in view of God's mercies? As it says up there, well, in view of God's mercies, after what Jesus has done for you, you give yourself for him. He gave himself for you. I give myself for him. I give myself back to him. That's true worship. All God wants from you is all of you. All. He wants it all. He wants everything. Not a bit, not a Sunday bit. Not some bits, not the nice bits, not the religious bits, not the bits you've got sorted out. All, all the mess, all the miracle that is you. He wants it all. And in case that all of you think makes you worried or scared, the only reason that you wouldn't think that is the best possible thing imaginable that could happen with your life, that you would fully give it all to Jesus rather than kind of halfway in, halfway out, is that you don't really know God yet. Because, you see, the way Jesus talked about giving your life and living your life fully and 100% for him, he said, imagine, he told stories, he said, imagine like an antique dealer who one day goes into a shop and he's an art expert and he finds this old, you know, picture at the back and it's like by, I don't know, it's a Picasso, it turns out. It looks like a Picasso and then he realises it is a Picasso. It actually is. And he knows it's like priceless. But in order to be able to buy it, it's quite expensive. It's pretty expensive and he hasn't got a lot of money but he's going to have to sell his car. He's going to have to go on eBay and sell some other stuff in his collection. He's going to have to get rid of some things in order to be able to buy the Picasso. But he thinks, bargain. You know, I'm going to sell that stuff. I'm going to lose that, effectively. But I get that. Well worth it. Absolutely the best thing I could ever do. That's what Jesus said it's like. You know, to buy it, to buy the painting, would mean he'd have to pay maybe a few thousand pounds and, and, and he'd have to, in some way, make a sacrifice. But the sacrifice would be worth it. Do you get the picture? You know, you know that that's a kind of an update of the story of like the parable of the treasure that's hidden in the field and the man who sold it. You know, he'd sold everything that he had to buy the field and he said he did it for joy. It wasn't like, oh no, I'm going to have to do that. He was like, I'm going to get the treasure that's hidden in the field. That's so brilliant. Of course I'm going to do it. It's an amazing thing to be able to do that. He did it out of joy. It's like everything that he gave up for that was like, so what? It's well worth it 
So what's Jesus trying to tell us in stories like that? He's trying to say, the best thing you can do with your life tonight, every day, when you wake up tomorrow morning, is to live it and give it 100% fully, holding nothing back, give yourself as a living sacrifice. Your life, your body represents everything that you have, everything that you are, everything you're ever going to do in your life. And even as I say it, I know we're kind of thinking, but not that bit. Because that would mean I might have to ask God about that and he might say this. And I don't want him to say that, so I won't even have that conversation. What is it? He wants it. What's the thing that you don't want to give him? Because it would feel like a, a death for you to give it to him. He wants it. And you're going to see later on why that's actually a good thing, even though it seems like a painful thing. Because really, you know, when we say, oh, we sing the songs about giving our lives to Jesus, I want to give everything to you, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee, etc. And like God's going, really? Really? Do you mean that? Because I could take you up on it. You know, because what a living sacrifice actually looks like is total commitment. 100%. That's what... You know, did you ever make the total commitment deal with God? Have you done it yet? I mean total, I mean everything. About everything you own. Everything you have. Everything that you are. Because that's what he wants. And I know, it sounds awful. But the extent that we think it sounds awful is because we've forgotten how good God is. And that actually it's the best thing that can possibly happen is to give it to him. That's, so that, I mean, just another way of saying living sacrifice will be these days a total commitment. Everything else God is going to tell us in the rest of the passage starts there. And you can't get past into the rest of it without that. It's like first base. Do you understand that? Total commitment is first base for the rest of it. And, you know, some people hang, spend a long time, spend their lives, Christian lives, on first base. Not willing to actually get there in some ways and say, I'm going to make a total commitment. But to the extent that we don't do that, we don't get to go into the rest of this passage, actually, is our lived out experience as Christians. We don't, we don't get to see it. And we're going to see the promises that will come to somebody who does make that step and say, I'll be totally surrendered to you. But it is conditional. God's love isn't unconditional, but the rest of this stuff is. And it's conditional on that commitment, that kind of obedience, that, all right, I'm all in. And, and without that choice, and it is a continual choice, but at some point, don't say, oh, I mean, like, if, you're gonna, if you can make it tonight, you can do it tomorrow. And if you can't make it tonight, you, you probably won't do it tomorrow. And without it, you can't get all the treasure that God has for you. The, the Picasso stays in the shop. The treasure stays buried in the field. Worse than that, the masterpiece that Ephesians says you are, that God created in advance with good works that you should walk in them, will not be fully realised. That masterpiece painting might just be an outline might just be a stick man. 
So I'm not sure how many people, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm actually talking about people here who would call themselves Christians. I'm not sure how many of us have ever done what he actually says there, even though he might have read it a thousand times. And then we wonder, when we look at verse two, why when it says we will know God's will? We don't know God's will. What's God's will? I don't know. Okay, did you do first base? Did you present yourself as a living sacrifice? You're going to struggle to know God's will. When first base is do what he says and be a living sacrifice. And basically, living sacrifice says, God, I'll do whatever you want. I'll go wherever you want. You can have whatever you want. That's like stage one. And from there, you'll be able to go on to test and approve what is good, good and pleasing and perfect will. But there's no mention, there's no guarantee that that next thing's going to happen without the first thing happening. And again, we end up getting stuck in our Christian lives saying, I don't know why, I don't know what God wants me to do. But you do. Because we're not doing what we do know he wants us to do. Because it sounds really hard and it sounds like a sacrifice. And actually, that's the reason why we don't end up getting so much of the the rest of this and that new life that God has for us is because we're still hanging on to the old one, really. And we don't want to go on to first base, from first base to the second base. We don't, you know, we kind of keep a foot on it, if you like. So why don't you make a total commitment tonight? That's the question. What's stopping you from making a full-on 100% everything for Jesus, no matter what? I'm not saying that in a, so why don't you? I'm saying it, so why don't you? Think about the question. What's stopping us from doing that? So many people are wasting this life and the possibilities God has for them because they're scared to death of commitments. But the truth is, everything that God ever does in our lives, every way that he brings blessing in our lives is because of covenants and promises and commitments and being made and being kept everything that God wants to do in your life will come through commitments and through covenants and through promises he's a covenant keeping promise keeping God so you see verse one says total commitment actually as God sees it is totally reasonable the word there in Greek is logizomai guess what we get that what word do we get from that Logic is logical. Therefore, in view of God's mercies, Jesus has given everything for you, so it's logical for you to give everything for him. It's not irrational. It's not like for the crazies. It's, it's, it's a reasonable thing to do. He gave everything for you. You say you love him. Love him like that? With all of you. He, he didn't give, he didn't, some of him didn't die on the cross for you. He gave you all. It's reasonable. And it's reasonable because actually, because of who God is. Well, again, let's get back to that. Because when you know who he is, you realise that his way for you may not be always easier, but it will be best. It will be the best in all kinds of ways that we can't even possibly at some points in our lives, in this life, even see until afterwards. And we hold back, maybe because we think that following God's good and pleasing and perfect will will somehow spoil our fun. As if... He's like this grumpy, spoiler God who just wants you to have a miserable time instead of seeing him as a father who has got buried treasure on a treasure hunt all over this planet for his children to find. And whenever you find one, he's like, yes, 
You found it, that's brilliant. See, Romans 8, verse 32, says this. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, is God for us? Who shall be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he also, along with him, sorry, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? It's like, if you realise who Jesus is and what, you know, that God's given him, why would you think that God's not going to want to always give you the best that he can possibly give you? That's the logic here. If God loves you enough to send his son to die in your place, how can you not, how can I not just live my life more and more for him and trust him and say, Lord, the best thing you can do in my life is make me more like you. And the big issue around being a living sacrifice, total commitment, is do I really trust that God really loves me? That's it. And that's the thing we have to deal with and have to invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us about maybe. Is God really good? And does he really love me? Or not? If not, you'll never get past first base. And you're never going to find out, as I say, how great the rest of it is that Paul outlines for us. Before I can accurately see and say who I am really, I have to know the great I am is for me, not against me. That he is gracious, that he is good, that he is kind, that he is loving. Paul knows and he says, I'm writing these things because I've received grace from God. I've got grace from God. I know there's things that I don't deserve that he's given me. I know that he's given me everything that I don't deserve And he's not giving me what I do deserve. When I really know the graciousness of God, that I can can know, I can trust him to give me the best. And so, the best thing I can do, with every moment, with every decision, everything that's going to happen in my life or is happening right now or will happen in the future is just to say and pray every day, start every day by saying, Lord, today, I surrender all. I give, give it to you, my Father. I want to be a living sacrifice for you. I want the world to see what a living sacrifice looks like. See, when you hear about these great men and women of God, you're going to find that's in common with them. And I'm not saying I'm there, but I, it's interesting when you read these Christian biographies of all these people who've gone on and you know, broken the back of slavery or set people free and had seen revivals wherever they've gone. There's come moments in their lives, and very often it's been documented in their journals when they basically said... I laid my life down for Jesus and said, I'll just do whatever you want and go wherever you want. And that's when the power is released because power is always released through sacrifice. When you say, I surrender it all to you, Father, I'm a living sacrifice. That's my worship, my whole life totally given to God because as people used to say he's either Lord of all or not Lord at all. So total surrender just means I'm pre-decided to do what God directed. I predecided to do what God directed because I know and trust that he will always, he's for me, he's God and he's gonna give me the best, not necessarily the most comfortable, not necessarily the easiest, not necessarily in this life the best that everybody else might want think the best is, but I give him all of me holding nothing back and that's when this new life really begins. And I just wonder again, how many of us as Christians have settled for a lot less than that and just got our sins forgiven in this life? And 
And yet here he's talking about when the Christian life really gets started, when I go all in. Anything less is not what God has got for us. Because you were chosen to live in one of the most significant eras in history. I really believe that. It's no accident that we've been born at this time. I think the things that are happening in the world now are massive in terms of world history. And I, don't, and I say you, like he's saying all of us here, we don't just mean preachers, we don't just mean church leaders. He's talking to everybody. Paul's writing to every Christian as he's writing to these people at Rome. So before we go any further, have you ever really fully signed your life over to God and said, I'm not in charge, I'm not in control and I don't really want to be. I'm going to trust you. If not, will you do so tonight? Because, and Paul says, Paul says, I urge you to do this. So I urge you, I urge me, but I urge you to do this because it's the best. It's best, better than my plan. God's plan will be better than my plan. God's way will be higher and above my way. And just when we do that, just watch what God will do when you tell him, Lord, I'll do whatever you want. I'll go wherever you want. I'll give you my all today, my future, my work, my money, my relationships, my singleness, my hurts, my happiness, my marriage, my gifts, my service. I'll give them all to do whatever you want with them, not what I want with them. Huge difference. God's always looking for people who will pray that kind of prayer. Who are just saying, Lord, I'm going to trust you. Because, as I said, when you know who he is, it changes everything. And you change the I am in your life. You start to see who you are differently. When you know, I am on a mission. I am chosen. I am set apart. I am blessed by God. I am provided for. I am guided. I am protected by God. I am saved. I am set free. I am forgiven. I belong to him. All those things. So again, in verse three, Paul says so. When you know these things, you know God and you know his will and you know that his will is to bless you whatever is happening. Then you know you can think about yourself differently. And actually, you can do it with sober judgment, he says. Interesting phrase, isn't it, with sober judgment? If you've ever been drunk, I know I'm not talking to the right people here. <laughs> you know your judgment goes pretty quickly when you're not sober. People think they're great drivers or brilliant dancers <laughs> or a total hottie. And he's like, think of yourself with sober judgment. He uses the word think here four times in the original languages. To, basically, he says, do not superthink yourself. Don't overthink. Don't think of yourself too highly when you think about it. Don't have an inflated ego. But it's also saying, don't underthink. Don't think of yourself too low, either with false humility, because that will stop God using you too. Verses four and five. Here's how we need to think of ourselves. You're part of something amazing. You are part of the body, he says. Pretty useless on its own. You know? If it was just a finger, not much you can do with that. But it's very important if you play your part. The part you're meant to play. Your part is unique because you are unique. You only discover that unique part of yourself that God has got for you to play during your assignments 
plural, here on earth, in every season of life, because he won't be the same in every season, when you see who he is and you say, I am a living sacrifice surrendered to his will, then he opens up more of who you really are and what is put inside of you to face those challenges and seize those opportunities as part of his body, which is the church. Remember, that's what he's talking about here. He is talking about individuals, but he's also talking about something way more amazing, which is the church. So, so, you know who God is. That's number one. Do you know that? Then he tells you who you are. And you believe it, because that's the next thing. He talks about giving you a measure of faith. He's given some people more faith to believe who he says they are than he has to other people. It is a matter of a faith thing. For you to be able to, you know, I could say, I've talked to people and I've said, yeah, but you know, don't you know what God says about you? Don't you know that he says this, 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 and this? And it's like water off a duck's back. It's like it doesn't seem to affect them because they go, yeah, but I'm this and I'm that and I'm this. And I'm like, believe him. Don't, don't just believe you, you're wrong. He's God. Will you have a measure of faith that believes what God says about you is true? Grow that measure of faith and you'll be who he says you are and you'll do what he says you can do because it'll stop you from saying, oh, but I'm not that and I can't do that. He says you are, he says you can. He's right. Agree with him. That's the measure of faith. And it grows. It grows the more you agree with him. And then that's when you get to see more and more of your part in this amazing cosmic adventure. Because you serve from a place of knowing who you are and you serve in a place of belonging there. Because you'll never find out who you are without God and you'll never figure out what you are to do without the church, which is his body, which you are part of. Identity comes before purpose. I have a, there was a microphone here on the stage before. I've got a, there's a microphone there. I, what can I use this for? I can use this to stir a pot of paint. It's not what it's for. I, can, I could do that with it. But that's, that's not its purpose. I have to discover its identity. It's a microphone. That's what it's for. I have a pen. I can, I can use it to poke annoying people with it. I could conduct an orchestra. But that's not what it's for. What's it for? Writing. That's what it's for. We have to discover the identity, then we get the purpose. Is there anybody here? Anybody here still trying to figure out why you're here? Because once you know who you are in Christ, it's easy. That's when you get to discover what you are to do for him and through him, for Christ. But when you don't know your identity, you forget your purpose. And you're going to try all kinds of frustrating things to try and work it out. When you forget your identity, you can't find your purpose. So you'll fill your life with all kinds of empty things instead of the masterpiece that God has got ready for you. Whose is this phone? I see a phone. I pick up the phone. Whose is this phone? My face ID unlocks this phone. Yours doesn't. I've got a unique code. I tap it in. You don't know the code. Without that, it's useless. It's just dead metal. All that potential that the maker intended and put inside of it is for nothing. So we come face to face with God in times like this. And when we do, he unlocks 
who we are. And we get, start to see the potential that is placed inside of us. And that's what worship's about. That's what coming together like this. It's about a total surrender. I'm laying, I'm laying down who I think I am, Lord, as a sacrifice, so you can make me who you say I am. And, and something is unlocked when that happens. And I believe God unlocks it in these times like this. I think he's doing it tonight. Anybody else feel like that? He's unlocking some things inside of us. Then, when you know who he is, you say, here's who I am in Christ and everything changes because now what I do as part of his body takes on eternal significance. It's not just going to church anymore. It's being part of something amazing because I was saved to do some things for him. I, I was appointed, I was anointed to do something. And then he, he lists some things, just a few things. But I think there's some people in here tonight and one of these could be you. And it's an opportunity for you to grow your gift. I love to teach. I didn't always start out loving to teach. I had to learn some stuff. But I love to do that. I I love that I get to do that as part of this body. I'm not the only one who teaches here. I don't want to be, but I love to play my part as part of the body. Maybe some of you, you could teach. Maybe at the moment your teaching gift on a scale of one to ten is a four or a five. Brilliant, you can grow that. Grow it. The rest of us would say to you, use your gift. Find ways to be able to teach. Grow that gift. We're all playing different parts. So what's yours to do wholeheartedly? Oh, I can't do it. I can't do it. God says you can. Well, I don't know if I can. Well, all right, become a living sacrifice. Lay down everything that stops you from doing it so he can raise you up, put his resurrection and power inside of you. If it's prophecy, some of you, you know you can prophesy. I, 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 I did it yesterday talking to a guy, a worship leader. I had a little picture for him, started talking to him. Next thing, I won't even go into the details of it. Afterwards, he said, that was amazing. And literally, I was like, afterwards, that was amazing. I mean, I'm not saying it's a big meal. I was shocked because everything that I said was bang on. But I'm growing in the gift. And the only way you grow in the gift is you've got to risk any wrong. You know? So if it's prophecy... Maybe you think prophecy is your gift. Use the gift. Grow your faith. God will grow your gift. If it's to pray, pray hard. If, it's, if your gift is serving, got some gifts, you know, go all in. Use the gift. I don't think there's anybody here who can't serve. There might be some people who won't. Now you don't like me. Has God given you the gift of encouragement? You're thinking, well, I wish he'd given it you, the gift of encouragement. (laughs) Use the gift. Send the text. Write the card. Ring the person. Tell them thank you. Say you're amazing. How many of us love to give? Do it generously. Don't just give. Be like super generous. Go all out. Grow the gift. Grow your faith. You have to grow your faith to grow the gift. Anyway, as I say, so what, what is it? If your gift is teaching, what do you do? Teach. teach. Pick one of them. Do it. I don't think we have all got all the gifts, all of us necessarily, but you can pick one of these and you can grow it and say, all right, I'm going to give it six months, I'm going to grow that gift. 
Anybody here who's given their life as a living sacrifice, trusting God, is going to have a lot less trouble giving. Anybody with a gift of leadership? Grow it. Use it. Step up. Serve that gift to other people. Do it for them. Not just for a paycheck, not just for noticing for reward from other people. Whether, do it diligently, he says, whether it's for the children in the church, whether it's in a house group here at Ivy. It is, you know, do something and make it better. That's all leadership is. You do something and make it better. It's not that difficult, really. You know, you, you, you can be, a, on the coffee, you can be a server or you can be a leader. The difference is you do it and make it better if you're a leader. If your gift is mercy, you love to care for people, to love other people, to come along. When, you have, when there's somebody in pain, you don't distance yourself from them, but you want to come alongside them and put your arm around them and minister the love of Jesus to them in some way. Do it with cheerfulness. Again, that can be sometimes, an issue sometimes, isn't it? People kind of do it and they come alongside somebody and it's not really with much cheerfulness in the way in which they do it. I think cheerfulness makes the difference. Use the gift. Because what a great gift it is to be able to care for other people, isn't it, in the church? What an amazing gift. You can do that. Can you do that? We can do that. And we need you to do it. The church needs you to do it. The world, this broken world needs you to do it. So I'm going to call out these different things and I'm going to invite you to stand up. If you think one of them, you could go, I could do that. But before we do that, we're going to go through the living sacrifice thing and we're going to look at those other things and we're going to say, okay, put the next one forward. Oh, sorry, go back. Who I am in Christ. Why don't you say these things? I am loved, forgiven, free, holy, a new creation, chosen, precious, eternal, joyful, courageous, known, purposed, pardoned, his child, the apple of his eye, the beloved, mighty, more than a conqueror. And we've got some stuff we're going to do later. we just give you some sheets to be able to go and do that. Not now, but, but we can take those. And, and, and when you wake up tomorrow and read those things through, then from that place of knowing who I am, there's all kinds of spiritual gifts, but Paul's put a list together here. I'm going to invite you to, from, no, hands up if that's true of you. I'm watching. <laughs> yeah? That's true of you. So, what I do, what do I do for God? Uh, anybody feel that they could, they could prophesy? Stand up, please. Great. Anybody feel like they could lead? Don't be shy. Love that. We want to be a church full of leaders. We're not threatened by that. That's amazing. Some of you I know are already brilliant at this. Encourage. Could you encourage somebody? Be a Barnabas. About care. Anybody else? If you're already doing one, Hand up as well. All right. But don't do any more. Okay? Because just focus on one of these for a little while. And say, Lord, help me to be able to do that. Give. Some people putting their hands up. Yeah, great. Fantastic. Brilliant. 
Have I said them all? Teach. Hands up for teach. Yes. Amazing. Amazing. Use the teaching gift. Yes. What do you do if God calls you to be a teacher? Teach. What do you do if he calls you to give? Give. What do you do if he calls you to care? Care. What do you do if he calls you to encourage? Encourage. It's like find somebody to encourage. Find somebody to care for. Find somebody. And that's how the gift grows. Let's pray. Did I say them all? Yeah, I think so. Serve. All right, the rest of you stand up to serve. <laughs> we can, everybody can serve. Everybody can serve. Lord, let's just um, pray now. And, and as we're going to do another time of worship, but Lord, as a precursor to that, why don't you just offer your body as a living sacrifice? We get the choice. In the temple, there was no choice. Lord Jesus, you chose to die for me so that I could live a new life and be that new creation. I could not doubt who you say I am, but could receive it and believe it and live out of that new creation that you've, all the new possibilities that you've given to me. So I want to believe that. Increase the measure of faith so that, Lord, I, I really believe what you're saying is true not just in some generic sense, but for me and about me, that all those things that you say about me are true. And Lord, and I live those out. Thank you, that's going to work itself out in various ways. Just maybe put your hands out and just in a sense of offering him everything. I feel my body, Lord. Body, mind, soul, spirit, everything. A living sacrifice, Lord. Because I trust you. I know that what you've got is, is going to be better than my own plans and my own ways. And even if it's scary, Lord, thank you that this is how power is released. This is how your Holy Spirit really gets to work through me. And Lord, I can't wait to see in a room like this with people who are willing to do this, what you're going to do through this and people watching or listening again, Lord, that as we offer ourselves to you, you will do miracles above and beyond all we can ask, dream or imagine. Thank you, Jesus. Hi, I'm Anthony Delaney. I'd love to welcome you to Ivy Church. Do check out the website, click on a few buttons, look at some previous teaching and some of the other things that we've been involved with. And why not plan to join us soon at one of our locations? Join a grow group, do the alpha course and figure out for yourself what it is that Christians believe. Or if you've got anything we can pray about, be in touch, press the contact button so that you can email us, let us know about you and how we hope you can be part of us. Come and join us at Ivy Church.